Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm here with my co-host, Sean. Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I, I'm, I'm doing great. It's another episode for the Surrounding Game Podcast, and we have a... We have an interesting podcast today. We're not really going to be talking too much about valuation of a company or Bitcoin, but more so, is this more of a psychology type of uh, episode today? Well, what do you think? I think that sounds about right. Yeah, I think so too. And as, as we've talked about in the past with, you know, I, I don't know how many episodes we're into this now, but psychology plays one of the biggest roles in any type, any form of investments. And it, it really does build that foundation um, of whether or not this is something that you as an individual want to go into. And so we're just going to take it from here. So Sean, earlier this week, you sent me a, a very interesting podcast from Sam Harris. Now, I don't really ever listen to Sam Harris uh, and I don't really listen to the politics stuff, but his second half was really good. I got to say, his second half about investments and investment philosophy was really, really interesting. And so I want to know, what are your, your thoughts or what, are, what, are one, what is the one thing that really popped out to you when you were listening to that second half of, of that, that podcast? Um, yeah, it was a really good podcast. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I, don't, uh, uh, I don't condone any of his political views or anything. This is not what that's about but mm-hmm. the i did listen just out of curiosity because they were going to be talking about wealth and investing mm-hmm. and uh one of the points that i thought was interesting a point that i've uh actually kept in mind for a long time and i've been thinking about for a long time is just the idea that there, are when people think of rich people they think of like there's rich people and there's poor people but in reality there are orders of magnitude of rich people and yes the vast majority of the richest people feel like they haven't even gotten there yet. And mm-hmm. so if you think about how much money it would take for you to be set for life, there are people who have that much money. There are people mm-hmm. who have 10 times that much. There are people who have a hundred times that much. There's people who have a thousand times that much. Mm-hmm. And those are all just completely different like universes of money. Like one of them can afford a private jet, you know, mm-hmm while you know a lower tier couldn't right it's just like mm-hmm. there's people with so much money and it's 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 kind of amazing and it's it's you know orders of magnitude and exponentials are things that people have a hard time with both in terms of compound interest but also just in terms of people having money when you hear someone has like mm-hmm. 50 billion dollars that's like it, it, you have to work your brain to even start to comprehend how much money that is well, I think it's more so not only if they have fifty billion dollars, but if you just if if you see them in person and they're driving, you know, like a Bentley or a Rolls Royce in front of you, and 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 they're just like oozing with cash, it, you just have that feeling. It's like, wow, you know, I, I'm not I'm not doing anything with my life, and, and this person is able to drive a two hundred fifty thousand dollar car, like it, it's nothing. I mean, for most most of us, that's 
250,000 is a nice chump change. It's a nice, nice, good amount of money. I mean, that that's like a down payment on multiple houses or something. If somebody just spends that on a car. And so, uh, you know, for me, at least before I got into like this whole investment philosophy and, and really changing my psychology and all of that, I was incredibly envious with a, with a lot of the, mm-hmm. the people that you see on social media. It's like, how are they able to travel to Bali? How are they able to travel you know, to all these wonderful places throughout the year. And I'm sitting here, I'm working, you know, 825 an hour back, back what, 10 years ago, I was working 825 an hour minimum wage. And it, it was like, I don't know how they do it. And they're just a year older, maybe five years older than me. And it's, it's just un, unimaginable. And, and you get really envious of that lifestyle. Uh, I don't know. Uh, have, have you ever felt that way, Sean? I mean, yeah i mean i guess it's my disposition that mm-hmm. you know envy is a particular thing i almost kind of wonder if envy relates to like wanting the other person not to have what they have mm-hmm. i mean that's a that you we could have a debate on the finer points of the exact definition of envy but certainly <laughs> seeing people with nice things and wanting them mm-hmm. and just being like kind of blown away like i remember i worked uh my first job uh, was as an IT guy. And there was a guy in the department who was like more, he had been there for longer. He was a much better software coder and he knew all the ins and outs of the mortgage industry. And, mm-hmm. and he, uh, he went and got another job. And about a year later we were talking to him and he was like, yeah, I got an offer for uh, at some place for 160. And wow. I was like, did he just say, 160 like he made like one hundred and sixty thousand dollars a year that's like that's like boatloads of money like i was yeah. just like that's like four times as much as a, what an average i don't know what the average income is but that's like that's like three to four times as much as what we would make in a year yeah that was so, the first time when i really conceptualized like yeah there's people that earn that much money like yearly yeah uh which is amazing and there's people who earn more you know a friend of mine was telling me that uh I guess his dad was, there was some website where it's like a jobs website, but it's mm-hmm. only for people who are going to make over 250000 a year. What? Now, is that base pay or is that with compensation? Um, Either. Okay. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> oh my no, there's people who make more. There's people who make uh, 400000 a year. Oh my like, gosh. Yeah. No, you know what's so funny that you're bringing this up because I actually, uh, you know, somehow YouTube algorithm or whatnot, I was watching like this IT guy. uh, I forgot what the channel was, but he was saying that, yeah, I turned down Google. They were offering me 360, uh, 400 something thousand a year. Uh, Mm -hmm. That include base pay with compensation. So base pay is like 150 and then with compensation for the one year is like an additional two to $300,000. And I'm just like, how the heck? Did you turn down Google, you know, working in Google and you have like 400,000 just, I didn't watch the whole video. So I, he probably explained it towards the end, but I was like, why, what? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, go on. I'm sorry. I I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but you know. No. um, So in that podcast we listened to, it's really interesting. The guy he was interviewing talked about how when he was younger, Mm-hmm. Um, he would see people come in. He worked in Lake Tahoe mm-hmm. and he saw these people come in with their fancy cars and 
he like he didn't realize until he spoke to them that there were people who had spent all of their money just on the car um there were also people who were just in debt wow but they were living like that and uh so it's interesting to think about there's there's the trappings of wealth and there's the reality of wealth right Mm -hmm. um it's like whatever you have in your bank account or in your investment account, people don't know. There's not a number floating above your head, right? Mm-mm. So uh, there's plenty of people who could probably, well, you could even go rent uh, mm-hmm. uh, an exotic car mm-hmm. and drive it around. So people mm-hmm. would have a certain perception of you, but that's not necessarily the reality. Well, and I think that's what's going on with a lot of the social media content today. It's like people are posting up, you know, that they're at the gym, they're working out every single day when it's only been like that one day that they went out to go work out or they're posting up like pictures of them in a private jet, but it's like behind them is a green screen. At least I've seen some like videos uh, on YouTube that kind of demystify uh, what you would see on social media. I mean, most of the social media pictures or on Instagram, at least, uh, most of them are edited too. So, mm-hmm. you know, things look livelier, brighter, more colorful. And it, it really does give you that false sense of perception. And and I, I know in the podcast, they did talk about comparing yourself with those around you, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the 50s, we didn't have that social media. Uh, now, I wasn't alive back in the 50s, but, you know, I would assume that the Internet not being there yet, there wasn't really much social media, just newspaper, radio and television. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of your comparison wasn't based on television itself, because that's, you know, we, we have the perception of celebrities, you know, they're they're in their own world. But you would generally compare yourself to those around you, your neighbors, your friends. And chances are back in the 50s, everyone was pretty much in the same level. Uh, in terms of finances, in terms of housing, in terms of family size, we're all pretty much the same. And that's why a lot of people, at least related to the Sam Harris podcast, what they stated was a lot of them call that the golden era. Now we fast forward to 2022, which is this year. We have social media, we have access to a, a new, a, a different world, so to speak. And we're constantly being bombarded through algorithms, through just our interest, our curiosity of the other side uh, of what that lifestyle is. And then the more that we consume that, right, the more that we kind of reflect on ourselves and we're like, shoot, I live, you know, I, I live in this, you know, 500 square foot studio apartment and I, I have a crummy car and I have to go to work every day, but these other individuals they're just you know making millions on youtube or instagram or whatnot and they're living their life but what they don't see at least in my opinion what they don't see is that you know one the amount of work that you had to do to build a reputation on it as social media that i mean that's so much work right and another thing is that if you're looking at yourself and you're saying that man i i have a 500 square foot studio apartment and i drive a crummy car you know, I, I know some people that live in a, in a box. They, they rent a room out. They don't even have an apartment. They don't have their own place. They, they don't even have a car to drive. You know, they, they're, they're, they're walking or they're biking uh, to and from work because right now they don't have a job and they can't afford the, like, the huge inflationary pricing of cars that is uh, right now. 
if you guys have ever started shopping for cars right now, it's insane how much above the MSRP price you, you need to purchase uh, just to buy a new vehicle or even a used vehicle. So, and so a lot of them are taking public transportation or they're, they're biking or walking to work. And, and so it, it's the, I guess what I'm trying to say is perspective. I mean, you're mm-hmm. already lucky to, even if you're driving a, a beat up car, I mean, I'm still driving uh, my 98 civic and it's 2022. So, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, I got a car that drives me from A to B. So, and I'm happy with that. I mean, it's a reliable car and it, it's, it's really good. And so, uh, you know, perspective, that, that, that's pretty much what I'm saying. Yep. Yeah. One thing that I, uh, that's actually given me perspective is uh, reading about just the way things were, you know, 200 years ago or 500 years ago mm-hmm. or thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. Like I remember uh, I read uh, one of the books that I've enjoyed a lot in the last few years, a book called 1491, mm-hmm. which was basically uh, a book about the way things were for the Native Americans before Columbus arrived mm-hmm. and describing uh, the Aztec Empire, the Inca Empire, mm-hmm. and um, and just thinking about like i comparing our standard of living mm-hmm. to the standard of living of people in the past mm-hmm. we live like kings i mean yeah uh indoor plumbing electricity air conditioners heaters internet um, internet <laughs> and just the ability to have like cool stuff yeah you know we could yeah. get musical instruments we could yeah. get uh you know we have youtube and netflix like there's a lot of really amazing things even the ability to ride a bus or even ride a bicycle i was reading an article about bicycles i mean that was like i think it was in like the 1700s like it was surprisingly recently Mm -hmm. that bicycles were invented and took off Mm -hmm. um but anyways yeah in that podcast uh he made an interesting point about how you know we think of these extremely wealthy people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, they must be like floating orbs of happiness, right? Mm, like mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. so rich that they just kind of like live this magical life. But Mm -hmm. he described both Bill Gates and Warren Buffett have had some really difficult times that many of us would not want to go through. And um, they described, they talked about this interesting study that I heard about when it came out. This is a study that's come up comes up on a regular basis at least in my readings and whatnot it's this study about how they tried to measure people's happiness Mm -hmm. and compare it to how much money they make Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. they found was on your day-to-day like when your phone will buzz and it'll say how are you feeling right now you Mm -hmm. know and you'll put in your sentiment and then they'll compare that with your um your income what they find is that people get happier and happier on a moment-to-moment basis until they get to about seventy-five thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. and then it pretty much stops yeah yeah however uh what sam harris brought up in the podcast is there's another part of that study that doesn't get talked about as much which is that they also ask people about their overall life satisfaction Mm -hmm. 
this broad sense of of your life so it's not moment to moment experience but it's just like when you step back and reflect that actually does go up as you get richer and it pretty much keeps going so i thought that was an interesting distinction that like being happy and you know i think it has to do with like our life satisfaction is kind of based on what we think others think of us Mm -hmm. and you know just broader judgments like that that are really um taking perspective in often the wrong ways right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. whereas our moment-to-moment satisfaction is a more like crisp experience like if you're you know whatever it is that makes you happy having a nice cup of coffee or something like you Mm -hmm. can do that rich you can do that uh at work you know on your 10 minute break if you're Mm -hmm. just like at a minimum wage job like there's 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 a lot of different possibilities and people kind of have this this sense that just being richer makes you happier but that's not necessarily the case yeah and uh, one thing that you know really surprised me uh just within the last year too is bill gates you know personal affair uh, in the news, you know, how he got a divorce and everything. I think that's what happened, right? Please correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but I recall that being in the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it just goes to show that, yeah, you might be extremely well off. You might be great and everything. And Warren Buffett, you know, I've read it in his autobiography uh, by Alice uh, Schroeder. I, I think uh, I don't remember the author, but I did read that Snowball uh, was the name of the autobiography. Um, they did talk a lot about his ups and downs within the relationship, uh, personal life. I mean, work life, amazing, fantastic. But because he dedicated so much time to his work and same thing with Bill Gates, the family life, you know, and, and the relationship with the, with the wife and children kind of was up and down uh, every so often. If you look at Elon Musk, you know, there, there was an interview that he did a while back where he said that, you know, during the dip of Tesla or uh, I forget which company it was, he was sleeping in conference rooms. Like he sold all of his, uh, what is it, apartment, studio, whatever he was living in. And he was sleeping in his own conference room day after day after day until the project was done. And so imagine you're sleeping in your conference room. You already have a family outside, right? And you're not going home to them. You know, what's happening here? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, another uh, th- that's just another aspect of the overall myth of when you're super wealthy, you know, life is going to be great. I mean, if, if you look at all the celebrities right now, you know, they always say, you know, celebrity marriages, they never last. And, you know, because most of the time they're so dedicated with their work that relationship generally I I feel comes second. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work comes first, and that's where their energy, their passion, and their curiosity, obsession, whatever you want to call it, that where that's where it lies, and everything else is just secondary to that. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's amazing. Uh, it's really amazing that you know, and and one thing, and I, I just want to say this as a personal experience. Uh, I did. I did have an experience way back when, when Tesla was first starting to come out uh, with their cars and one of my friends uh, just purchased it. 
And I remember talking to him and saying, wow, only the super rich are able to afford this. And he got super irritated with that because he's a hardworking individual. He came from nothing and he made himself, he was self-made. And he just straight out told me, Tin, I don't want ever want to hear you say that ever again. I was like, why not? And he's like, you know how hard I've worked the last 10 years just to be able to purchase this Tesla? I've worked day in, day out, 80 to 100 hours a week for the last 10 years to build my company, to build my business, to be able to afford, you know, a Tesla whenever I want it. And it was, you know, at the time, Tesla was not as affordable as it was today. Uh, and so that really just opened my eyes because, you know, I'm here, I just started, you know, I just graduated college. I'm, I'm walking around and, uh, and he, he just literally slapped me in the face pretty much with reality of what he had to go through. And that totally, totally changed my perspective ever since then. And I want to say this happened eight, nine years ago, uh, maybe even more. Was it? No, I think it was more. I think it was about 11 years ago, 11, 12 years ago. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> so it, uh, time flies very fast after you graduate. So uh, <laughs> I can't recall the dates. But I, I mean, that was a huge like eye opener. And ever since then, I've had a, a, a humongous appreciation for the working entrepreneur, the working individual that is grinding every day and really trying to build, build something uh, from nothing. And so, you know, and it, it really takes that mentality, that mental shift to change, you know, your original thought process to something that they are seeing, right? And so... Anyways, I just want to include that there because it, it was a, a fascinating experience for me. And, and I've never forgotten that experience. That's mm -hmm. uh, I carry that through my investment practice, you know, just being able to analyze the leadership. And if they have that same mentality, you know, that to me is one of the personal connection that I generally uh, will be looking out for. Now, not every investments that I research into will ever tell me that. Uh, most of them don't, but if I ever get an inkling that that is that mentality, uh, that's generally a good sign for me, at least with my investments, to take a look further into the company. Not necessarily invest in it, but just take a look further. So, and it, again, this all comes from personal experience, and that's why I say investing, investing in general is a very personable experience. Anyways, going back on topic. <laughs> so, <laughs> going back on topic. Um, I don't know. Did you have anything else to add to that before we, we kind of go to another topic here? Um, well, I mean, entrepreneurship is uh, very, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it it's, is. it's extreme. Um, you, it you, takes so yeah. much to, to build a business, especially yeah. from scratch. You know? yeah. I mean, emotionally, family-wise, relationship, everything. And you know, unless you're talking to a person who actually opened their own store, their own business, um, a lot of times, you know, it's it's not for everyone. It really isn't. And uh, I, I know a lot of people that, you know, tried it and then they're like, you know what, I just want to I just want to be the number three guy or the number eight guy, you know, or girl um, and just work in a company and just live my life like that. You know, I have a friend right now who you know, uh, just wants to work and they're getting paid very well and they're living life and they're happy. And mm -hmm. so, and that's amazing. That, that's really is amazing. 
that, that they're content with that. I mean, with, with today's day and age where everything's about entrepreneurship, at least in the social media, you know, Shark Tank being a huge uh, promoter of that mentality, um, just, you know, seeing people happy with what they're doing. I think that that's probably the win-win uh, equation right there. So, yeah, I think sometimes entrepreneurship can actually be like a trap. Like yeah. people, um, it, it looks like this great thing and they, they're kind of playing off of people's uh, exceptionalism mm-hmm. because mo- I think, you know, one out of five or one out of 10 businesses mm-hmm. that starts will die. Yep. And so a lot of people think, well, I'll make it through. Yeah. And they also might think uh, it is based on their hard work or, you know, like, well, I have what it takes to push through. And mm-hmm. the reality is there's a huge amount of luck. Um, yep. And so I don't think entrepreneurship is necessarily for everyone. No. Um, it is for some people, but, you know, you should yeah. really know who you are you should know how far you're willing to go and yep. uh, things of that nature yeah and speaking of luck it, it luck really does have a big big component um a lot of people and it, they talked about this in the sam harris podcast a lot of people uh take luck for granted and mm-hmm. even though luck it, it could just be the tiniest thing just just you know, it doesn't have to be a huge thing where, oh yeah, I invested in this company and I just made $10 billion. No, it, it's not that it, it's, 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 it's the extremely small thing. And they were talking about the compound effect. And that reminded me uh, of, of the book that I read the, called the compound effect by Darren Hardy, who is the publisher of success magazine. And I read this back in 2012, 2013. I forgot when, when I read it, but it was, an incredibly interesting book. And there's actually a formula in his book. It's on page 31. I have the book with me right now, Compound Effect. On on page uh, 31, he writes the complete formula for getting lucky. And you want to know what it is? What is it? It's four things. Preparation, attitude, opportunity, action. Mm Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of those four things. So per, preparation means your own personal growth. You investing yourself, you becoming a better individual, you developing more skill set. That's that's preparation. Your attitude, your belief, your mentality, your mindset, going from blaming, you know, uh, and complaining to more of okay, well, this is the reality. What can I do to fix it? So that's a shift in in paradigm shift, if you want to call it that, a shift in attitudes, shift in belief, mindset, etc. Okay, opportunity. Uh, just being able to see opportunity and take the opportunity. I think a good thing that coming your way, uh, that's why he wrote in parentheses and then action, being able to execute, right. Being able to actually do it, take the opportunity, take uh, the action to do preparation that all adds into the equation of what luck is. Okay. And again, I, I wouldn't doubt him because he's a publisher of Success Magazine and they do a lot of interviews on extremely successful people. And this is what he saw over the many years that he's done invest, uh, not investment, investing, but done interviewing, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are the four things and it equals luck. And so what's interesting is the pure luck aspect of that is like buried inside the opportunity part yes but it's really about how um how you were sort of positioned and yes to take advantage of the luck you yeah know? 
Well, I mean, it's it's all about you preparing as best as you can. You know, opportunity come and go, right? Mm-hmm. You might not even get the opportunity, but to put yourself in the best situation possible for this opportunity, you got to develop yourself so that you can see it and you have the skill set to act on it, right? And mm-hmm. that that's really what I took away from it when I first read this book. Um, and ever since then, I told myself every single day that I would at least try to develop something about myself, whether it's 1%, whether it is, you know, reading a, a paragraph a day, you know, just something. And what you what the overall idea of the book is, is you just have to start one tiny thing. If you want to go to the gym, okay, the first thing is drive to the gym. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to walk into the just drive into the gym every single day. Drive, not drive into the gym, <laughs> drive to the gym <laughs> every single day. And you're going to get into a habit because as you drive to the gym, then you're like, well, I'm already here. Might as well walk through the door. Right. And then slowly but surely, you, you don't even have to go to the gym. You can say, oh, I want to walk one minute outside today. You walk one minute, then it goes to two minutes, then it goes to five minutes, and it, it snowballs. It compounds day after day after day. And I've, I've taken this to heart where I tell myself, hey, I need to read one news article every single day. If I want to become a really great investor, I got to start reading. And if I don't read one article every day, that means I'm one article behind a person who is reading one article every day, you see? Mm -hmm. And so as long as I can keep that momentum going and I can keep that just constantly go, go, chug, 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 I will eventually outpace the person who's kind of on and off about it. And that gives me the advantage in the investing realm, right? And so, uh, Sean, I don't know. Is there a habit, and it's all about building habits in this book, is there a habit that you found that was incredibly useful as you started building it and started developing it? I mean, how did you get into the whole Bitcoin realm or the investing realm or the psychology realm? I mean, there must have been something that you started doing initially, and it just built from there. Um, Let's see. I think it started, well, it started pretty early on with just... um, I earned a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. I think my freshman year of high school, summer time, mm-hmm. and uh, my dad had me put it into a mutual fund, and mm-hmm. I saw that grow, and that sort of showed me how it works. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the snowball effect really came with time, mm-hmm. and they talk about this quite a bit in that podcast. It talks yes. about um, the 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 interviewee was basically saying his plan for investing is to get average returns for an above average period of time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, he brings a quote from Charlie Munger that he said, the first rule of compounding is don't interrupt it unnecessarily. Yes. And he talked about how Warren Buffett started at the age of 11. And as of now, Warren Buffett has been in the investing game for 80 years, Mm -hmm. which I found that pretty astounding mm-hmm. um you know how many people don't even live 80 years i think that's more than the uh, life expectancy but warren buffett is literally been investing for 80 years mm-hmm. um and so the amount of time that you're in the market 
I think really matters. And there's this, you know, little saying that people have that it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. Yes, Um, absolutely. And I definitely agree with that. And that is my main investing strategy. I think it it Mm -hmm. always has been. I think that and the getting into the financial independence um, stuff online really showed me uh, the idea of also trying to rein in my own spending. Mm-hmm. And they talked about that on the podcast as well, that this is a point that that was made really well that I hadn't really heard anywhere else. They mm-hmm. talked about how difficult it is for investors to get an extra 1% of return. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like one of the most celebrated things. If someone, if some hedge fund manager got one or 2% more than everybody else, it's like amazing. Mm-hmm. But the it's like so incredibly difficult to get one more percent of return, but imagine how much easier it is for so many people to spend 1% less. Oh yeah. And I thought, wow, that I didn't, I never compared those two things. When I think of cutting spending, mm-hmm. uh, even in the financial independence and early retirement type stuff and reading those blogs, I thought bigger. I thought, you know, how I need to cut like a lot of spending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can be good, especially early on if you want to, like, get in. Because that's that's another thing. This is, uh, if you think about this idea of time, it's not only the sheer amount of time. It's also how much could you get in at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a point that I heard on a podcast with Mike Green. Mm-hmm. Um, he talked about uh people when someone let's say someone graduates college they start their very first job and they get their 401k and it's like you know how financial advisors would spend so much time fussing about what exactly they put that 401k money into do we need to put it into this how do we balance the risk blah 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 but he pointed out that for the first two or three years it's the, there's only one variable that's going to determine how much money they have in there at the end of those three years. And mm-hmm. it's not going to be what they invested in. It's going to be what they put in mm-hmm. because it's not going to change that much over the first three years. Mm-hmm. But if they put marginally more amounts of money in there, that's what's going to get their returns. And so I often think of um, for younger investors, you should definitely thinking about trying to uh trying to put in more money at the beginning, try to uh, get into the habit of, of having your spending be low. And, you know, people's spending, as they make more money, their spending will grow over time. And, and that's kind of natural. People get the hang of a certain lifestyle and then they ratchet it up and they now get used to that. Mm-hmm. But if you can slow that process down, and especially in the beginning, that over time, especially over 10, 20 years, that's going to majorly increase the compounding. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I think that that's, you brought up many good ideas um, about the compounding and how everyone, you know, just 1% less, spending 1% less. And I believe you said something just now that, uh, you know, I heard this a while back, and this was through a Tony Robbins interview when he first published his, um, what is it, Money Master the Game book, which is the first book that he had that he's published in like twenty something years. 
and he was like really into like the financial sector and how to improve. And he interviewed all of these people, uh, Warren Buffett included, um, uh, Sir John Templeton and George Soros, etc. And one of the biggest lessons that I remember him talking about was the idea of taxing yourself, right? So if you tax yourself, and this goes in line with the idea of saving 1% or, or not spending the extra 1%, if you tax yourself, right when you get your paycheck, you set aside, say, 20% of you know, your paycheck for investment or for a rainy day fund, whatever, but you, you automate that so that when you look in your checking account, you don't see that you had that 20% moved away, right? It's mm-hmm. in an account somewhere in a money market fund or whatever it is, an investment, whatever. But you tax yourself. Then you begin to psychologically reprogram your spending habits because what you're spending in your checking account, you're going to be like, oh, shoot, I don't have so much money as I did before. So let's adjust, Right. And I think that was probably one of the most important lessons that I, I, I took away from that because I started taxing myself where I would set aside X number of dollars away for my investment fund. And I've been doing that for about five, six years now, uh, at least when the, the book first came out. Uh, and I, I cannot stress this enough how hard it is not to pull the money back i mean it's like i want to i see all this money i was like man i'm putting this in an investment but you know after the first year i mean that first year i was like man i i have you know an extra thousand dollars that i could be spending you know but it's sitting in an account and and i'm it's for investment you know but after a year two years or even five years then you begin to be like you know what i kind of like this idea I'm spending what I need to spend in my my main account, but this is in my investment account, and I'm really happy that I had extra funding when you know stocks becomes cheap, and you know as I'm developing my skill, I'm purchasing more and more companies, and so it really, you know, the idea of taxing yourself really does help. The first year, it's it's a it's an emotional roller coaster. I'm just gonna be honest, okay? So, mm-hmm. but once you get into the habit of that, then you can alter. You don't have to go twenty percent. You can go five percent, right? If you make a hundred dollars, put five dollars away. That that's really all you need. It's the it's building the habit, the compounding habit, where now you're developing that that idea that okay, well, I'm just gonna set aside some money. And then when things look right, then I'll purchase something in an investment of some sort, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what you also did. Um, I mean, my parents always taught me to save, 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 save. So it, it kind of was, I was able to do that, but kind of not, you know? And so just building that habit. And Tony Robbins did a marvelous job explaining the idea uh, and it, it just really helped me as an investor from there is just to get into that discipline. Uh, like I, I always ana- analogize this with just going to the gym. It's like, you know, it, it really is just taking that first step. Just the first step is the hardest step. And once then you start the first step, then the second step, third step, fourth step, it begins a little, becomes a little bit easier. And so um, I don't know if that's the program that you did before mm-hmm. you started investing into Bitcoin. Um, yeah, I definitely, um, I definitely would take portions of my money and, and stash them away into stocks. Um, mm-hmm. That you know, I, I liked the idea of 
when I got my job and signed up for the 401k, the money just comes out, you yeah. know, you just get your paycheck and it's not there. The money and, is and you don't been- realize that they took it from you. Right. Yeah. You just don't realize it. You just say, okay, well, I, I got $500 this week. You know, you, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, sorry, not meaning to interrupt, but I think that's, what's uh, really amazing that, you know, we know that we are getting taxed, but we just, <laughs> we just we just uh, adjust and so yeah yeah and in that podcast he brought up an interesting point that most people when they think of saving they think of saving for an event yes or i'm saving for a specific thing mm-hmm. and you know he would talk about his saving and investing and people would say well what are you saving for you know mm-hmm. and it's he's like i'm saying for saving for whatever you know um, when we were talking about luck before, mm-hmm. that reminded me of a, a quote also from the podcast where he said, risk and luck are basically the same thing. It's mm. just that one is the good side and one is the bad side. And you, we in, in life, we will encounter random difficulties in the future mm-hmm. and random costly things. And so if we have money ready to go for that, um, it's going to make us sleep better at night. Mm -hmm. And so I have definitely benefited from having just saving on a regular basis and having it saved up and then just having it in my brain, knowing that, uh, you know, whether it's car trouble Mm -hmm. or uh, medical issues, you know, I've run into some of those things and then it's just like, well, I just pay for it out of my savings. You know, Mm -hmm. I've never been like, on the edge except for one time when i like didn't you know uh fund my checking account properly and then i was like scrambling (laughs) to get money (laughs) but (laughs) most of the time (laughs) most of the time i didn't have to worry about these these costs that just pop up Mm. because i had been saving no and and i actually like that idea but i i would disagree well, I, I'm kind of like agreeing and disagreeing with what they said in the podcast about the idea of saving. Uh, you don't have to have a, a a reason to save. You just save in general. And I agree to that point, but I also disagree that if you're constantly just saving for no apparent reason, then, you know, there should be a cap to how much you need to save, right? Mm-hmm. And so because, you know, you, say that you saved up, $150,000, which is going to be a, you know, for most ex- random expenses will be enough, right? Say that you need a surgery. Well, I don't know, on average, a surgery will can go to the really high end. So if you're more at high risk then you, yeah, you should save a little bit more if you don't have insurance, but if you have insurance, then, you know, the bill is not going to be as bad as what the actual price of that will be, at least in the United States medical system. <laughs> so <laughs> I got to emphasize that. But, uh, you know, you don't need $800,000 in savings, at least in my opinion. If your lifestyle does not match that type of income and if your, you know, expenses doesn't go exceeds that much, you know, I, I, I generally would think that Maybe your lifestyle may need two hundred thousand in savings just for emergency funds, right? Maybe you just need to save two hundred thousand. That extra six hundred thousand could be utilized elsewhere. Say that you want to get more return on your money. Well, invest that six hundred thousand, right? 
at least this is my opinion. I'm not saying this as an advice, but the way that I think of it is that if my current lifestyle doesn't exceed, you know, X number of dollars, and I'm still saving past that, well, with the inflation taking a chunk out of my money and, and you know, it's like an invisible taxation kind of thing, I'd much rather invest that extra 600000 in this hypothetical scenario into, you know, uh, uh, index fund, for instance, or if I want to do my own stock picking, then I invested in stock picking, or if I want to purchase real estate, then at least I have down payment to invest in multiple properties. And so, so this gets into a really interesting issue that yes. did not come up in their podcast. No, that, that comes up a lot in uh, among Bitcoiners. And this is the idea of the difference between investing and saving. Yeah. Investing and saving in, I, I would say, in the United States in this year, 2022, mm-hmm. investing and saving are the same thing. Probably. But yeah, in for, for a lot of societies, mm-hmm. it's not because it, saving is supposed to be low risk. Uh, a, you put your money somewhere where it will be safe. Yes. Um, and low risk, and it's not getting a lot of return. But it is extremely liquid, and if exactly. you have mm-hmm. some issue, you could just grab it and do your thing. Yep. Um, but because of the way our financial system works, the level of erosion mm-hmm. for just money that you've stashed away is becoming too much, yes. and the ability to get uh, even a small amount of return on say a savings account. I mean, back in, I don't know, 40 years ago, maybe even 30 years ago, you put money into a savings account, you're getting five, 10%. Oh yeah. Easily. I remember yeah. 8% one time. Yeah. You know? Now it's, it's nothing. Yeah. Right? It's basically it, nothing. It's so negative. Well, it's not negative. It's like 0.0026%. And then with inflation, it's, it's, it's negative. So yes. <laughs> yeah. So to get any return, you got to yeah. invest. I mean, you can oh, yeah. only invest like a half of it or a quarter of it, and then you could just beat inflation. Mm-hmm. But most people just invest all of it. So mm-hmm. it's really interesting that, and they didn't even in this podcast, they didn't make any distinction. No. Which is interesting because it shows what's happened to our brains. Mm-hmm as a result of the way our financial system works that it's like, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah saving. That means I'm going to go buy businesses. It's like, no, that's not saving. That's investing. Yeah. yeah well, <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and this goes back to what we talked about, I think two or three podcasts up with podcast recordings, um, which is the idea of storage of wealth. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, you can store your wealth in gold. You can store your wealth in under a mattress. You can store your wealth in investing in cryptocurrency, Bitcoin or stocks. But the idea is, you know, if you're going to do any type of investment, at least the way that Warren Buffett does it, you're going to buy something that is going to appreciate in value, supposedly, or depreciate with the market, whatever it might be. But it's your buying power that stays the same, whether or not you, you know, people are still going to buy a pound of chocolate, for instance, at least that was his analogy, whether you're in an inflationary period or not. And so... And if you're in an inflationary period, they're going to buy, they're going to purchase that pound of chocolate for more money. I, I mean, that's what the whole point of inflation is. And so he's like, well, storage of wealth is storage of wealth. I mean, they're going to buy it no matter what. And so, and the key is that you've got to look for something that people are willing to buy even during a recession type period, inflationary type period, et cetera. And so, and that it, to him is saving, right? 
that mm-hmm. to him is like I, I'm preserving my power of wealth. Now, other people might be buying Rolexes. They might be buying the brand new watches, Omega watches. And I, I've watched a lot of YouTube about uh, Kevin O'Leary saying that I purchased this watch as a storage of wealth because I know that I can flip it on a third market for nearly the same buying price, right? So if I buy a watch that's $380,000 today and I want to sell it 10 years from now because it's a collectible item and I know that the third-party market is, is really active, I have a higher chance of selling it back for close to that price or even more. And that's the way that they are thinking. That's why you see, you know, these um, financial gurus, these incredibly influential people purchasing $500,000 watches, right? Mm -hmm. Or they're purchasing uh, artwork that's like $1.2 million. And a lot of it is storage of wealth, at least from what they're telling us. And now there could be other reasons, tax reasons. I have no clue, but from face value, at least in the YouTube videos or the Instagram reels or whatnot, that's what they're saying. And so, yeah, it's really interesting how our mind shifts or our mentality shifts. Uh, and, uh, sometimes it doesn't shift fast enough, right? Because, you know, I know a lot of people today are still saying, oh, you got to put your money in your savings account. My family is a big proprietor that they're, they're like always saying, you got to save, you got to save, you got to save. And with inflation, with negative interest rate or just negative rates in general, including inflation, um, it doesn't make sense to, to keep it in a savings account anymore. Mm-hmm. So in that podcast, he made uh, some other really interesting points. He talked about... Um, his wife says she's almost happier in a recession. Yes. Because mm-hmm. keeping up with the Joneses goes away. <laughs> um, I thought that that's actually kind of an amazing comment. Do, like, do, okay. Side, side note, just, just really quickly. <laughs> side note, do you know why they say keeping up with the Joneses? Uh, I do, don't do, know why. Do it's you know just, the backstory behind that? Let me no, I don't think so. Okay, so the backstory behind why everyone says, Oh, keeping up with the Joneses, and I read this in uh, I, I just read this in the Warren Buffett book, I think Tap Dancing to Work. Uh, one of the earliest articles, I think this was back in 1965, was when they were comparing Warren Buffett to a family called the Joneses. I think that's what it was. And the Joneses, you know, were mutual fund family, whatever, hedge, hedge fund family. And they were purchasing, you know, all these luxurious items, their their best cars, whatever. And Warren Buffett is just doing his own thing. And there, it was a comparison between the two. Now, I kind of skimmed through it, uh, but I thought that was really interesting because they were emphasizing the idea of keeping up with the Joneses back in 1965 or 1967. It's one of the earliest Forbes magazine. Uh, that, and so they that were comparing, mm-hmm. they were specifically comparing Buffett's lifestyle? It, it was Buffett's behavior because he wasn't spending on luxury items he right. still lives in the same house that he's living in today uh yeah, back then he's kind of famous for right? that yes yeah, his yeah. house is like a kind of a regular it's a nice two-story house oh it's yeah like, it's it's a beautiful it's house. like not it's uh yeah it's not huge you know? yeah it's it's not it's not a mansion but the joneses were you know spending all this wealth and they're they're really telling forbes that yeah we just purchased this and that uh, and again, this is me skimming. So I didn't read the full article right away. Uh, again, I'm reading like 20 different books at the same time. And so I was kind of just skimming just to see if I wanted to start reading it. And it, it was just interesting how that the Joneses popped up 
uh, in one of their earliest articles. And so, yeah. That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And so now every time you hear it on social media, keeping up with the Joneses, uh, Gary V was probably the first person I actually heard that from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't listen to a lot of his stuff nowadays, but uh, he does say, oh, yeah, keeping up with the Joneses. Um, because he's an old school kind of guy, you know, he, he knows that article. I mean, so it wouldn't surprise me. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. When I think of keeping up with the Joneses, I often think of like debt. Like there was this <laughs> yeah. one um, commercial that I always think of. It was this guy who's like, he's, he's, uh, you know, got a big house and he's nice car and he's talking about all his nice things. And he's got a big, ridiculous, like smile. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, he's riding on his riding lawnmower and he's like, how do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. <laughs> that giant smile on his face. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. And when I think of keeping up with the Joneses, I think of like how much people are in debt because they see the lifestyle around them and they're like, oh, I have to be at least on par. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm like a loser outcast. Mm-hmm. And so then they take on debt to achieve that lifestyle because they feel like they have to, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm going to say two things before I forget. Okay. The first thing is, is the, what we were talking about this whole time, which is comparing, you know, social media, compare ourselves to others. And, and that was probably the biggest thing that caused a lot of envy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and this is just a repeating of what we just said 30 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I was listening to a Jordan Peterson podcast uh, a while back. And, you know, what he said was that you shouldn't really be competing yourself to other people. You mm-hmm. should be competing. Your to, you should be competing with yourself from yesterday. Yep. And, and you know, I, I agree with that 100% because that's what I did. What I started doing after my friend kind of slapped me in the face with, you know, how hard he worked just to buy himself his own Tesla. And of course he has a house and everything on top of that, but, and, and it, it was the idea was like, okay, well, if I only compete with myself, then I don't care what everyone else around me is doing. They could have a billion dollars in front of me. I wouldn't care because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to beat myself from yesterday. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, we're going to close the episode today, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it. If you do like our content and do want to see more, please uh, give us a comment, give us a like, or even a subscription or a follow anything helps i mean it helps us uh and it it really shows that uh that uh this is a fun and entertaining uh topic for you guys and so until next time don't forget not wait what (laughs) (laughs) okay don't don't don't, trade don't don't trade a penny don't trade a dollar for a penny there we go (laughs) okay anyways we're done see you everyone (laughs) 